Welcome to the Center Branch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. All right, last week we started a brand new series that we're calling Steadfast. And steadfast means the ability to stay on course, the ability to to set a destination and then not turn aside, to stay on track, not to alter direction. We talked about how important it is for men and women of God to be steadfast. In the end times, Jesus said the love of many will grow cold. That means we're living in a season where there's something going on that causes people that start loving Jesus, something pulls them aside. We're susceptible to falling away if we aren't intentional about pursuing Jesus. We need to be people who don't just start right, but continue right and finish right. Amen? So we talked last week about keeping our hearts pure. We looked at what Paul wrote to Timothy. He talked about this guy named Demas, who he said, he's forsaken me. He bailed. He's no longer serving God. And he said, he said, why? He said he, start, he fell in love with this present world. And a love for this world pulled him off course in what God had called him to do. So we talked about not loving temporary things. We talked about getting rid of lust in our lives, putting it to, putting it to death early on, not, not compromising, not permitting, just, you know, little things. That, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Just To walk in purity, it means to be pure. God has called us to be holy, not as the people around you are holy, but as he is holy. That's the standard of holiness. So we don't tolerate just, well, you know, all guys look at, all girls like to. Whatever whatever justification you've created in your life, we're, we're called to walk in holiness. And the danger is those things pull you off course. So we talked about loving what is good. Romans chapter 12 says to do that, but also hating what is wrong. There are things in this life that you are supposed to have a hatred for. We talked about the danger of just a a generic American Christian accepting everything in the name of love. That's not love. If love is really love, then there are some things that it hates because it knows it poses a threat to that which is love. So in a way, hate, hate is a necessary part of love if love is really love. So we're going to continue this morning talking about that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. Talk about staying on, staying on course. Before we jump in, would you pray with me one more time? Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. We invite you to come and bring revelation and understanding. Bless us with eyes to see. Bless us with ears to hear. Speak to us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when you are driving your car, if you want to stay on course, very, very simple, one of the things that you need to do is to keep your eyes focused on what is ahead, right? Very basic. Earlier this year, I got to teach my oldest daughter to drive. That was one of the lessons, very, very basic. But when you're driving, you need to keep your eyes on the road. It sounds simple, but people get themselves in trouble all the time by not keeping their eyes on the road. Just this morning, right before service, somebody showed me a picture of a car sticking out of a house that they they saw just this weekend because there was a boy driving and he dropped his cell phone and he went to pick it up. The next thing he knows, he's in somebody's living room. So you've got to keep your eyes on on the road in front of you. So I'm telling you, you, keep your eyes on the road, keep your eyes where you're going. Don't look at your phone. Don't get distracted. That's an important part of staying on course. When I was in college, 
we lived in Pennsylvania, but I went to college in Missouri. And so during breaks, a lot of times we would carpool. A bunch of people would kind of, you know, find someone who's willing to drive. and We'd all ride home and kind of, you know, at least get to the region you were from. And I remember one break we were on, we're all loaded in someone's car. And it seemed like most of my friends had pretty junky cars. And I was in the passenger seat and we're, we're going down the highway. And I started complaining about how cold my feet are. Man, my feet are freezing. And so we started looking around, and there's, there's some holes in the floorboard. And so wind is just, you know, flying in as we're going down. And that becomes a distraction. We're trying to solve this problem, how I can keep feeling in my, my toes. Someone finds a blanket. And so the people in the back seat, we're all trying to get this blanket situated and clog up the holes. The driver's leaning down, put, you know, trying to get the blankets wrapped around my feet for me and figure it out. Next thing we know, we, the ride gets really rough starts sounding weird, and we look up, and we're, we're in the grass median in the highway, just still cruise controls on. We're flying down just, you know, with the weeds around. We're way off the road because the driver's, you know, trying to figure out my foot situation. If you want to stay on course, you've got to keep your eyes where, where you are going. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Jesus, in these scriptures, there is a series of sayings or teachings or responses that they all have to do with the seriousness of making a decision to follow Jesus. In fact, if your Bible's like mine, the heading there is the cost of discipleship. Jesus is letting people know it's not a light or meaningless or peripheral thing if you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus. It's no joke. If you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, you know what he expects? He expects you to mean business and to follow him. It's a series of sayings along those lines. And then again, verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Where Beth and I used to live, we lived close to, to Amish country. There's a, a large Amish community, and when you drove through there, through the farmland there, it wouldn't be rare to see them out working in their fields, and they would use primitive, primitive tools. So if they were plowing their fields, they'd have an animal, a horse, or a cattle of some sort, and then the old-fashioned plow, they would walk behind it, and it would be amazing how straight those rows would be. I mean, they're, they're not using tractors or, you know, whatever else. They're just lining them. It, it, would be, it would be perfect. And the way that they got them perfect was through focus. They're not just looking around all over. They're focused on what they're doing. And those, those plow lines, those crops would be perfectly lined, lined up. And Jesus is talking about that. Looking back while you're, you're plowing is a problem. Why? Because you're going to go off course. But Jesus isn't just giving tips for gardening. What is he talking about? 
He's talking about following him. So he's using an analogy. Plowing is equivalent to following Jesus. And he says no, nobody starts and then looks, looks back. If they do, it says that they're not deemed to be a fit for the kingdom of God. Think about that. There's something you and I can do that once we start following Jesus, we put our hand to the plow. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I've been following you for a year, five years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever it is. There's something that can happen in a person's life that they are deemed no longer a fit for the kingdom of God. That's serious. They, They don't fit. You just don't fit. At my house, because I've got a wife and four daughters, there are a lot of options when it comes to shoes. There's, there's shoes everywhere at our house. Do you know why I didn't wear one of my six-year-old daughter's shoes this morning? Right, because it didn't match my outfit. No, no, because it, it didn't fit, right? It, I couldn't get my foot inside that shoe. It wouldn't fit. And Jesus is using that kind of language here, saying you and I can do something that would cause us to no longer be a fit. You don't, you're just not a fit for the kingdom of God. What is it? What, what would cause somebody to... To no longer be a fit for the kingdom of God simply by looking back. It's a serious thing to look back. To look back at what's behind. Nobody having put their hand to the plow beginning to follow Jesus, but they're looking over their shoulder. They they aren't a fit for the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 17, we won't take time to read it. But Jesus is talking about the end times. And as he's talking about the end times, when when he's going to return, what it's going to be like, one of the things he starts to emphasize is the danger of looking back. There's something about the end times, times that we live in, that there is an increased danger in looking back because it's the time where, where people's love will grow cold. And as he's teaching on that, in verse 32, he says this. He says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. It's a story about a mistake someone made when they look back. So Jesus said to remember it. Let's take a look at it this morning. Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Most of you are familiar with the story. God has sent some angels to let Lot and his, his family know that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to come under judgment. They're going to be destroyed, and they need to get out of there. God is being so merciful and kind to get them out and to spare them and to protect them, but judgment is coming. Fire and brimstone are going to rain down on this city, completely wipe it out, and so the angels have come to help Lot and his family get out, and that's where we're going to pick it up. Chapter 19, verse 57. Not verse 57. There isn't a verse 57. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, 
and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Verse 23, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord brained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So they're fleeing. They've been told not to look back. Lot's wife, for whatever reason, looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. Now, this story from the time I was a kid, this is a strange story to me. This is bizarre. It's almost a little bit disturbing. I still, I've got a very clear image in my mind from the time I was little, the way I picture this going down. I've still got that image in my mind of what it looks like when this woman turns into a pillar of salt. This is just kind of weird. It's unexpected that this happens. And if we're being completely honest, it seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? That she looks back and she's, not only is her life ended, it's ended in this weird way. It's like memorialized. She's turned into a pillar, a pillar of, of salt. And looking back doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal, does it? To, be, to come under this kind of, of judgment? So I want to I talk about the dangers of looking back, but just as a, as a quick aside, the way that we justify sin in our lives, a lot of times is just to look at the action itself, like looking back as an example. Looking back, is looking back good or bad? Is looking back a sin? If you were to look back at the sound booth, if I were to look back at the wall behind me, is that something that God would strike us for right now? It's, it's not the action itself, it's whether it's obedience or disobedience. And that's where a lot of people will get off track and rationalize and justify behavior in their life, trying to, to, to just kind of critique and understand the behavior and not understand. Listen, it's not about the thing itself. It's about what God has said about it. Is eating a piece of fruit a big deal? Is that, is that something good or bad? Well, it depends what God has said about it. For Adam and Eve, it was a big deal. It was enough to to throw the entire human race into sin, right? So it wasn't a matter of eating fruit or not eating fruit. It's a matter of obedience or disobedience. And that's important because you can look at different things and you can rationalize, justify, compare yourself to other people and come up with what you think is a pretty good conclusion, a pretty good argument. But listen, if God has said not to do it or God has said to do it, it's just, it's not a matter of what you think of that behavior. It's whether it's obedience or disobedience. And that's what makes it a big deal. Well, if I, if I sleep with someone that I'm not married to, I mean, I love them. I don't see what the big, big deal is. Well, you might make a good argument, but if it's disobedience, then it is a big deal. Tithing, I, you know what? I mean, a dime out of every dollar. Is a dime really that big of a deal? Is, it, is that important that I tithe 10 cents out of every dollar? No, you're right. It's not that big of a deal. But disobedience is a big deal, and that's where we get ourselves in, in trouble. So that, that's the lens that we need to look as we strive for holiness, not just what we think and in our culture today. What does God's word have to say about Because you might be right. In our own natural eyes, it's not that big of a deal. 
But if it's disobedience, that's when it becomes, that's, that's when it becomes a big deal. So she looks back and it's turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Remember. Remember this weird story from the Old Testament. Remember this story about this woman who did something who really didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. She did something that was fairly reasonable. I mean, fire and brimstone are falling out of the sky, wanting to get a peek out of it. I mean, you can make a pretty good argument for that. Fire is falling, wiping out a city. That might be something that captures your attention. The story of this woman who did something, didn't seem like that big of a deal, and has this unexpected, harsh consequence, again, not just of her life ending, but ending in this weird, bizarre fashion. Now, what is the point? Why is Jesus saying, remember Lot's wife? Remember this strange story of someone's life coming to an end. I'm sure there's deep theological, scholarly understanding of the significance of a pillar, the significance of salt, and all those kinds of things. In my limited understanding, here's one of the things I come away from this story. The same way she thought turning back, looking back, isn't that big of a deal, and it turned her into something unexpected. That's what happens in people's lives all the time. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal to look back, even though we know we're supposed to focus on what's ahead. I can rationalize, I can justify why looking back at this part of my life or what happened to me before, but it has unexpected consequences. It can turn you into something you never thought you would be, that you never wanted to be, and we've all seen it happen in people's lives, right? You know someone or maybe you are someone. We all know people that have had something happen somewhere along the life, and we'll talk about what some of those things can be. Something that's happened in their past that's like caught their attention. It's snagged the focus of of their life and it's altered the course. They became something they didn't think they would be. It didn't seem like that big of a deal. After all, what happened was pretty significant, but it's captured their heart and their mind in such a way that it's turned them into something they never expected that they would be. It's turned them angry. It's turned them bitter. Maybe it's turned them stagnant. Maybe it's caused them to backslide. It, it's, it's mutated them in a way they didn't intend. That's exactly what happened with Lot's wife. She looked back, something an unexpected, it was harsher than what you would expect, and uh, uh, turned her into something she didn't intend to become. There is a danger in looking back, and Jesus warns us. Some, something that doesn't seem like that big of a deal But it turns out it is a big deal. It is dangerous for believers to look back. So let's talk about some of the things that cause people to look back in their life. One of the things that can cause people to look backwards in their life and give their attention to what's behind them instead of in front of them, one of those things is people who have come out of a life of sin that begin to romanticize about what that life was like before they came to know Jesus. Maybe you've heard people give testimonies like this. They give a testimony and they start talking about how they used to drink. Nobody could outdrink them. They were the best drinker that there ever was. And their eyes light up and you can tell they're excited talking about what used to be. You've heard testimonies where people just start, it's like they're almost bragging in a weird way. I was, I was good at being bad. You should have seen me. I used to party so hard. I was so wild. I was so crazy. The drugs I used to do, the things I used to steal, the way I used to dance, I used to be able to get down. I mean, they'll just go on and on about what life was like. And then they'll conclude their testimony with, And then I met Jesus. Now that's all behind me. 
And you can tell they're far more excited about what used to be than how Jesus has pulled them out of that and changed, and changed their life. And for some of us who have testimonies of what used to be in our, our lives like that, we've got to guard ourselves about allowing it to be something we look back at and romanticize about how it used to be. That, that's what Lot's wife did. She's looking back, and we'd have to be guessing to say what was going on in her mind and her heart that caused her to look back. But maybe it was just looking back, longing for what used to be, remembering the good times, and she's not seeing it for what it really is. This is what happens in people's lives when they look back at sin. You're not seeing it for what it really is. She's looking back at a city longing for what? There is fire and brimstone coming down on that place. It's a place of judgment. It's a place of death. She's just been rescued out of there by the hand of God. She's longing for what? You've got to see it for what it is. Your life of sin is something you were rescued out of. It's a place of death. The wages of sin is death. That's nothing to long after. The reason you decided to stop doing that and give your life to Jesus is not because it was so much fun, because it left you empty and alone and cold and lonely and scared and wondering what in the world, what, what am I even here for? It filled you with questions. That, that's why you wanted to be rescued out of it in the first place. So people will turn their back on sin to follow Jesus and then spend their time following Jesus, looking back, longing for what used to be. There's a reason you wanted rescue rescued. People need rescued out of places that are dangerous and disastrous and destructive. They're not sending rescue crews into the the food court at the mall because no one's in real danger there. If you need rescued, it means your, your life is in danger. And that's why Jesus rescues us out of sin. You've got to see it for what it is. And don't allow the enemy to spin, oh, you know, those parties you used to go to and the brotherhood you had with those guys that you would drink with. That's not the way that it was. It wasn't some wonderful thing. You were miserable. You've got to remember that part of it and see it for what it was. It left you empty and sad and depressed. That's what it was. It's a place of judgment and sin. So don't look back longingly on what used to be. And you you were made for impressive things. So it's natural that if that's the most impressive thing you've done, that your attention is going to go there. One of the ways you can fix that is don't allow how many keg stands you did in college to be the most impressive thing that you've ever accomplished. Start doing some things as a follower of Jesus that you're going to get excited about. Have some exploits as a man of God, as a woman of God. Talk about the fruit that's growing in your life, the people that you've brought into the kingdom, the way God's using you to make impact. Let those be things. You, you need to have some things that are impressive. You just need to add some things to your resume that don't have to do with, with the shameful deeds of what you did before you came to know Jesus. It's good to have things to be excited about what you've accomplished. You were wired that way. But don't leave yourself prone. That's all you have to talk about and romanticize about what used to be. So one of the things that can cause us to look backwards, just like Lot's wife, looking back, remembering all those wonderful times. It was a a time that deserved the judgment of God. And we've got to see it as that. Another thing that can cause us to look backwards is hurts, offenses, different troubles that we go through. And again, we'd we'd be guessing, trying to figure out what was in Lot's wife's mind, whether she was just longing for those good times. Maybe she's looking back because of hurt, because of trouble. Looking back, she just had to leave everything. It'd be a painful thing. You have to leave your your home for other people's sin. That's not fair. 
It could be something that's causing her to be sad, angry, upset, something painful that's happening to her, and she's looking back. One of the things, when we go through troubles and difficulties in our lives, it's it's part of life. But when we go through them, it can be an opportunity for it to, to mess up our faith and to derail us and keep us from having our eyes where they need to be. Let me read you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally... When we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we were destined for such troubles, even while we were with you. We warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why... When I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Going through troubles, difficulties of all different kinds can shake a person's faith. And life will give you opportunity to be hurt. Life will give you opportunity to be bitter. Life will give you opportunity to be disappointed. Paul said, I warned you, trouble is going to come. And we don't focus on the trouble. We know when trouble comes, it comes, but we can walk in victory. Amen? So we're not focusing on that, but it's a part of life. And some people will go through trouble, and they come out the other side, and they move on. But there's other people that go through trouble, and it captures their attention, and it begins to almost cast a shadow on the rest of their life. They live looking back at that trouble that happened in their life, and it causes them to come off course. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12 says this, sorry, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do, I forget those things that are behind. Now, if you know the story of the apostle Paul, he had some serious trouble that he endured. Things that you and I haven't been through being beaten and drug out of a city, kicked out, kicked out of a city, being stoned, being imprisoned, having Roman soldiers beat you, put in jail for preaching the gospel. You, you and I haven't had those kinds of troubles. He had, he had real difficulties. He, he's not just being overly sensitive and emotional. He had people plotting against his life, people that were always attacking him and criticizing him, trying to figure out a way to end his life. That, that was his reality. But he said, you know what? I've, I've got some things I could complain about. He could have lived his life looking back and whining about that trouble, whining about how people don't understand him. Just tried to help those people. Went to Ephesus, tried to, I'm, I'm, there, I'm there for them. And how do they treat me? Accuse me of things, try to throw me in jail. See if I ever preach the gospel again. He could have allowed that to, to affect the way that his life went from there. But he said, you know what? I forget those things that are behind and I do what? I keep my eyes on the road ahead of me. I know there's a prize. I'm trying to focus on what God has called me to do. I'm going to be steadfast and not turn to the left or the right. You, maybe you've gone through some difficult times. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But if, you need to, if you've been hurt by someone, you need to forgive that person and move on. There's people that have been through very painful things 
things, tragedies. And I'm not trying to be unsensitive to that. You need to find healing from that and then move on, forgetting those things that are behind and not allow that to cause you to go off course. You want to be steadfast. You've got to keep your eyes on the road ahead of you and not keep your eyes looking behind you. Just like trying to steer anything else, that will be disastrous. Steering your life is the same way. You've got to be like Paul and keep your eyes on the road ahead. So past exploits as a sinner, past hurts and difficulties, you know, past victories can distract you as well. That's what happened in King David's life. Bible says at the time of year when kings go out to war, David stayed home in his palace. That's where he ended up with Bathsheba and all that nonsense happened because he, he, he was already an accomplished warrior. He'd already won a lot of victories. He'd already won a lot of battles. Just let everybody else go out and do that. And just by, by keeping his eyes on what he'd already accomplished, past victories, it was an opportunity for the enemy to start to steer his life the wrong, the wrong direction. There was more battles to be fought. There was more territory to be claimed. There was more victories to be won. He needed to be focused on that. The same thing is true with you. There are people in this room that are great men of God, great women of God. Thank God for it. But you've got more victories to win. You've got more battles to fight. You've got more territory to claim. And if all you do is celebrate what happened before, it's good to be thankful for it. But you've got to keep your eyes on the road ahead. God has more for you to do, but you can squander it by just staying focused on the victories that you've already won. So past victories can distract you, past hurts. You know, there are people that suffer very legitimate hurts. Like I said, like the the apostle Paul, but then there are other people, especially in, in the church, not necessarily this one, but in the body of Christ that are just so easily offended so overly sensitive that, I mean, they're just, they get hurt by such crazy things. They allow little, little insignificant things in their path, in their past to capture their attention and to steer them off course. I've talked to people that'll tell you, yeah, I I used to go to church, but I went there for like two years. You know, they never asked me to lead a small group. So I I thought I'm done with this. You you stopped going to church because, I mean, just small little, just things that, that cause people just nonsensical things. They, they never acknowledged some of the stuff I've done for the church. So I thought, if they don't think that much of me, I don't think that much of you. And I was done. I mean, people have just such silly stuff that they allow what happened in the past to pull them off course of what God has called them to do. Overly sensitive. I don't know if anyone can relate to this. If you go outside with your shoes off at all, but at the beginning of spring, into summer, when I've been inside, all winter, my feet have been nestled away in, in protective footwear. The first time you go to walk outside, walk across the driveway or walk across gravel, and your feet are just, did I just lose everybody? Well, this is just my personal testimony. My feet are like a loaf of uncooked dough, just like a soft, tender, white. I mean, it's like I, can, I, I feel every little thing. Everything's painful. I can't stand hard. That's the way some people live their life as believers. Every, they can barely walk as a Christian because they're so sensitive. They, they feel every little thing. Every little thing hurts them in some way. And here's the problem. A lot of people in the church think that being so sensitive like that is a mark of spirituality, that it makes them mature, that things wound them so deeply. They get hurt so easily. They think it makes them like extra spiritual. 
I, I saw his post on Facebook. I don't think that's funny. That really grieved my spirit. I don't know if I can. And they, it, it makes them sound spiritual. It's immature to let things bother you like that. It's a mark of immaturity. Think about your kids or when you were a kid. Remember riding in the back seat with your siblings? Drawing a line, not letting people. You, Dad, he just got on my side. They just crossed over. My kids do just last night on the couch. She's on my cushion. Tell her to get her feet off my, her, her elbow just touched my knee. Please, I mean, bickering, you've got, you've got to break up wars sometimes as a parent just for little tiny things. They're on my side. They're crowding me. She touched my leg. Can you tell her to move over? That's part of being immature. Imagine as an adult, you ever fly on a plane and you're sitting next to someone, you know, those armrests, like you've got to share. Someone that just, I mean, stakes a claim on both, both armrests. As an adult, what are you going to do? Raise your hand and tell the stewardess? I I drew a line. They're on my side. No, if you're mature, I mean, they'd think you were crazy if you started throwing a fit about that. Because you're an adult, right? If someone starts crowding you, what do you do? Whatever. You you might. You might give them the old, like a slight quarter turn of disgust. And and then you just, you forget it, right? Whatever. Whatever. And you enjoy the rest of the flight. Why? Because you've matured. You've matured to a point where you're not going to, whatever, they can have the arm breast. But when you're immature, it, it drives you crazy. Now, apply that spiritually. Don't allow just little things. Somebody didn't greet you properly. You didn't like the way that they did this. They didn't handle that. You weren't acknowledged. Don't allow that to be such an irritant. Don't be overly sensitive. And don't fall into the lie that that makes you super mature, that everything hurts you and wounds you so badly you can hardly stand the way. That's immaturity. It's important as believers that we move from being immature to mature. And it's not just so we can say that we're mature and feel better than other people. There's a lot on the line whether you and I go on to maturity or not. Amen? It's important. That, let me read to you. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Speaking of tender feet, my wife has feet made of alligator skin. True or false? (laughs) Her feet touched mine in bed last night. I thought she was wearing hiking boots. (laughs) And I'll probably be alone in that bed tonight. Listen to this, Galatians chapter four, verse one. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves, not much better off than slaves until when? Until they grow up. Even though they're actually, they actually own everything their father had. So he's giving us an illustration of the importance of maturity. That you, you can be an heir of everything that belongs to the Father, but have zero access to it because you haven't matured enough. So for you and I to see the promises in God's word and get excited, about that, that's important. 
God has made so much available to us, but we're given a principle there that just because something belongs to you doesn't mean that you have access to it. Some things you gain access to as, as you mature. There's a lot of believers that see promises in God's word, see things. It says that it be, this belongs to me through Christ Jesus. It says that I'm a co-heir. I'm, I'm the seed of Abraham. And they claim that, but they're so immature. They're like what he's talking about in this verse. Even though everything belongs to you, you're right, it's yours. But by, me, by reason of immaturity, you don't have access to it. Even though he has everything, he cannot access it until he grows up. He's, he's no different than a slave. Even though he's a son, he lives as a slave until when? Until he grows up. It's important that you and I mature as believers. And what we're talking about is not allowing just little insignificant things. It happens, it happens so often. It happens too often in the body of Christ. People get offended over the stupidest things. And the enemy wants to use that to pull you off course. Well, I, I used to go to church, but they did this. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 3? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things. I, I, was, re- I was really hurt in a church. Who hasn't been hurt in a church? I went to church one time. This once I was really hurt. Once? Man, you got off easy. You were only hurt one time? That, that, that's a testimony. Not something to complain about. What's he say? You were hurt? Forget about it. Man, I, this one lady, she was so mean to me. Forget about it. You can apply it to all these things. These things in, in our, our past. Things when you were... Your exploits as a sinner, forget about it. Man, I used to be able to get any girl I want. Forget about it. Just forget it. Forget it. Let it go. These things that are in my path, forget it. Why? Because your attention needs to be elsewhere. Your attention needs to be on what lies ahead, the goal. The goal, obviously getting to heaven, but there's, there's some prizes before we get to heaven, some accomplishes before we get there. The, the road to heaven is, is lined with goals and prizes as we make our way to where, to where we belong. And that's where our focus needs to be. You haven't peaked. You haven't peaked. It doesn't matter what age you are. You haven't peaked. If you're young, if you're middle-aged, if you're elderly, you haven't peaked. Your best is ahead of you, but that's where your focus has got to be. Forgetting those things that are behind. You know, we love 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. We love that passage. I love that passage, rightly so. But sometimes we just apply old things passed away to God's end. Thank God he doesn't see me as I used to be. Thank God he doesn't hold those things against me. Thank God all my sins are in the sea of forgetfulness. It doesn't just say that's the way that God's supposed to see things. Old things have passed away. It applies to you too. You've got to let those things go. Old things, forget it. Let it go. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Don't let those things pull you off course. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive, something you just need to get over. You need God to heal something. You've got to let go or forget about it so you can move on. Your best days are ahead of you. Listen, older folks, Obviously, the older you get, the more the enemy has to work with to try to pull your attention backward. And the more effective he can be at convincing people that your best days are behind you. I really believe 
It doesn't matter how old you are. You have not peaked. If you're older, your most fruitful, the sweetest, most fruitful, impactful days are ahead of you, not behind you. Think about it. Think about it. The, the Bible says that wisdom belongs to the aging. Wisdom belongs to you. The older you are, you've got the, the richest wisdom you've ever had is right now. You, you've never had the kind of wisdom. Before, before you got to this age, whatever, you, you didn't have the kind of wisdom you have now. You've got the greatest trust, the greatest deposit of wisdom. Wisdom belongs to the agent. It's a time to step from addition into multiplication, having incredible impact, mentoring people, pouring into them. This is Father's Day, being a spiritual father, a spiritual mom, raising up people who are going to raise up impacting generations. This is your opportunity not to retire in the kingdom of God. This is a time for you to impart all that God has done in your life and entrusted you with. Wisdom belongs to you. Anything God gives us, you are to be a steward of. You are to be a steward of wisdom, which means you don't just sit back and use it as a point to critique people who don't know better. You're supposed to help the younger people learn and to become better. But you've got to take the initiative. The older people need to take the initiative. Look around this church. We've got some incredible older people. We've got a lot of young families in our church. Thank God for it. A lot of people in their 20s. A lot of people in their 30s. People in their 40s. We don't know what we don't know. We don't, even, we don't even know the questions to ask sometimes. We need older people to come alongside us to initiate relationships. What, what would it take for you to throw your arm around someone and you're going to have to pursue that person because, again, they, they don't know. They don't know that they lack wisdom. That's part of lacking wisdom. But you have it. You can see what they need. You're going to have to initiate the relationship, pursue someone, find a young couple and pour into them, build relationship with them. Find a young single person, take them under your wing, just build them up into that man of God, that woman of God. They're probably not going to come to you and beg you to be their mentor. That's what you want, I know. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to pursue them. That's, That's part of being a minister. Paul didn't just sit back and wait for the people from all these towns to come to him. The responsibility was on him to go and tell them what they needed to know. You're going to have to initiate. Ask a young couple out out to lunch. They're going to tell you no. Do it again the next week. Pursue somebody. Ask God, lay somebody on my heart. Begin to use this season, not as a time just to sit and reflect and take a a few vacations and, and, you know, be emotional about all the great memories you have. Use this as the most impactful time of your life. I'm, I'm talking about keeping our eyes on the road ahead of us and knowing God has great things in store. Ephesians 2.10, great works prepared in advance for you to do. And I'm telling you, you have not done them all yet. There are things that you still have to accomplish, but you'll never accomplish them being overly sensitive. You can't be steadfast and be overly sensitive. You can't be steadfast and be, be reminiscing all the time about what used to be. You can't be steadfast and be distracted by something that is in your path. You've got to keep your eyes, like Paul, on the goal, on the prize, on the road ahead of you. So I'm going to pray this morning for an anointing for focus, an anointing like spiritual blinders on the eyes of our hearts, that where the enemy would try to distract you, that's what he wants to do, to try to distract you. He's not after you just having an emotional response. He doesn't care about that. He's not even just after the pain that that memory brings. He's after pulling you off course because he knows the things that God wants to do in you and through you. And he's trying to keep you from accomplishing. Older folks, that's why he tries harder with you than anyone else. Because he knows this is the season of your life where you have the greatest impact. So he works hard 
to keep older folks distracted, looking backwards. That's what he's after. There are things he wants, God wants to do in you and through you. All of us, all of us. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.